Hello and welcome to the History of Africana Philosophy by Chike Jeffers and Peter Adamson, brought to you with the support of the King's College London Philosophy Department and the LMU in Munich, online at historyofphilosophy.net. Today's episode will be a conversation about the themes raised in the episodes so far with your two hosts, me and of course, no longer silent partner, Chike Jeffers, who by the way is Associate Professor of Philosophy at Dalhousie University. Hi Chike. Hello. Thank you for joining us on our own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to be here. Uh, So let's start with something that's arguably overdue, which is to have you introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. Can you sketch your academic career so far, say what your main research interests are? Sure. Well, I'm from Toronto, Ontario, and I did my undergraduate degree at York University. Um, and I started at York University actually doing film. Um, I thought I might want to be a filmmaker. Uh, as I progressed through uh, that program, I realized that I didn't see myself going into that industry. Um, and I realized I was more attracted to the academic side of things. But at first, that meant just a change from film production to film studies. And then I did actually kind of throw on a minor in philosophy. Um, I'm not even sure if I had taken a philosophy class yet at the time that I did that. I just knew that from outside reading I had done, it seemed fun to me. And what happened is uh, that third year of my undergraduate degree, or or, or, uh, as they would say in the U.S., junior year, um, I... First of all, at some point, picked up in the bookstore uh, George Yancey's African American Philosophers' 17 Conversations, uh, which, as the title suggests, is um, a book of interviews uh, with professional African American philosophers. Also, that third year, I took a course um, on African philosophy from Esteve Morera who works uh, at York. He's an expert in Gramsci and I think uh, maybe also Vico, uh, but he had enough of a reading interest in African philosophy to offer a course. Um, And between uh, the book and the course, uh, I realized I definitely wanted to be a philosopher. Um, So that was how that happened. And it is an interesting kind of story in terms of getting into philosophy because, um, you know, many people might get into philosophy and eventually realize, well, hey, what about stuff related to my background or something like that if they come from a background that is underrepresented in philosophy. But it is precisely my exposure to those who were um, doing Africana philosophy uh, that made me realize, hey, philosophy is more than just fun. It's actually something that I would be happy to make a career in. It's actually something that I would think of as possibly my way of contributing to the collective advancement of my people and so on. And uh, and so, so that's kind of how I uh, made the decision to become a professional philosopher. And Uh, I got my PhD at Northwestern University, and I was fortunate there to to study with 
Robert Gooding Williams, uh, who at the time was working on uh, his book on Du Bois, uh, which which was eventually published uh, under the title In the Shadow of Du Bois, uh, Afro-Modern Political Thought in America. I was also able to study with uh, Suleiman Bashir Janya, who we had on the podcast, and he was working on a book on Senghor, uh, which he eventually published and which I actually translated, uh, and it's in, available in English uh, through my translation. And eventually, uh, also, uh, he wasn't at Northwestern when I started, but Charles Mills, who many uh, listeners who are familiar with the world of philosophy might know, joined uh, the department at Northwestern and was eventually the supervisor of my dissertation. And so it really was, you know, a wonderful committee to have uh, in terms of doing um, Africana philosophy. Also, uh, eventually, Penelope Deutscher in that department was also on the committee. But um, yeah, so, so my dissertation was called The Black Gift, Cultural Nationalism and Cosmopolitanism in Africana Philosophy. Um, and that kind of at least uh, tells the story of how I got into the field. And also your love of long titles. <laughs> the listeners don't know this, but we're always uh, arguing about the titles and I'm always trying to get them short. You're always trying to get them long. <laughs> it's it's I, funny, actually, that, that sounds you, short sweet to me. <laughs> it's funny that you uh, started out in film studies and have wound up doing a podcast. Like, That's true. At least yeah. in media now. There you go. Um, everything comes back around. Uh, so obviously you've been interested in Africana philosophy as long as you've been a philosopher then. Yes. Has your understanding of what it means to talk about African or Africana philosophy shifted over time? Uh, that's a great question. And I would say no. I'd say that um, while I don't know that I knew the word Africana philosophy when I first got interested um in the subject, because after all, for those who are outside academia, it's not necessarily a, a common phrase. Um, as soon as I encountered it and saw how people were using it, I was pretty clear that, oh, well, yeah, exactly the stuff I want to do, right? This is the word for that, right? I, I think it was one of those kinds of things. I mean, you know, in more simplistic terms, uh, I would have said, yeah, I'm interested in philosophy, and particularly uh, black stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, slightly more sophisticatedly, um, I might have said something like, well, you know, um, I take a pan-Africanist view of things, and therefore I'm kind of interested in philosophy as it will relate to, you know, the entire African world, you know, both the continent and the diaspora, seeing those uh, um, as, as in some sense unified, right? And, um, and so, yeah, in all, in all of those ways, you know, uh, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think Africana philosophy ends up being about, right? I think that uh, certainly there are complexities that one can then introduce, right? If you, for example, say uh, you're interested in black stuff and then there's the question of, well, so how does ancient Egypt fit into that, right? You know, 
there are questions there. But of course, I think you and I agree that that when you get those questions, it actually just kind of increases the philosophical interest of, of things. You know, how, how do you how do you justify these connections, right? And uh, you know, just to kind of take that example, you know, I think one thing I've certainly realized is that, you know, even if we could justifiably say that ancient Egypt is no part of Africa, which I think is a ludicrous statement, but if we for some reason could say that, I mean, I'd still be, you know, fascinated, fascinated and really interested in learning more about and probably working on to the extent that I could ancient Egyptian philosophy. And, and the reason I think that is that I know that um, something that we did an episode on, right, you know, um, philosophy from ancient Mesopotamia, right, that fascinates me as well, you know, the way in which we can kind of look back towards these two oldest traditions of writing to kind of see what philosophical work is there, you know, kind of just given my interest in philosophy, I find that interesting, right? And then, as it turns out, though, it is in Africa. Um, and as it turns out, not only is, is Egypt in Africa, but you can't disconnect ancient Egypt from places to the south of it, like Nubia. And then even beyond all that, the way that in the modern era, many black thinkers have been have, have been interested in Egypt, have taken up ancient Egypt, right? Even if you were to say that that, that it's all an invented tradition in, in that sense, that they were making a connection where there wasn't one before, well, that connection has long been made by the time I am now coming to the subject, right? And so for all those reasons, it's just obvious to me that ancient Egypt is a, a topic of great interest from the perspective of Africana philosophy. And so, uh, yeah, I think that that's just one example of how you might uh, make the story more sophisticated, but all the stuff I was already interested in when I kind of came into it is, is still part of it. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess the point there would be that even if it's in some sense un not justifiable to consider ancient Egypt as part of Africana philosophy, we needed to cover it anyway because it has to be on the table when we get to talking about modern or contemporary discussions of Africana philosophy by Africana thinkers. Mm -hmm. A couple of other things I would add there, because I, obviously we've both been thinking about this a lot, and I've been thinking about it for the first time, you've been thinking about it <laughs> again. Yes. Two things that really struck me when we were thinking about uh, not only Egypt, but also Ethiopia is that, first of all, I think that there's a tendency a lot of people have, which is not helpful, to assume that there's only one correct way of classifying a certain body of <laughs> philosophical literature or maybe not literature in the case of oral traditions, as we'll get on to talking about in a minute, <laughs> but let's say a tradition of philosophy. Yes. And Ethiopia is a great example of that because mm -hmm. as it happened while we were doing the Ethiopia episodes at the very same time, I was also writing about Byzantine philosophy, which That's is right. just a coincidence, right? And mm -hmm. it made me see that Ethiopian philosophy is simultaneously really clearly part of African philosophy, right? So there's yes. relationships between Ethiopia and Egypt, 
there's mm. relationships between Ethiopia and Islam in Africa. I mean, when right. we told that whole story, we kept referring to what else was going on in Africa around that same time. Yet, yep. also, you can think about translations into Ge'ez as mm -hmm. part of this wider phenomenon of Greek philosophy being disseminated all around the wider Mediterranean, like all the way up to Georgia and Armenia. Right. And obviously, Constantinople into Latin, yes. into Arabic. And so, what I, I would resist the urge to say that Ethiopian philosophy is only Africana. As sure. Well. But similarly, I would also resist the urge to say it's only part of Eastern Christianity. This is actually it's both, right? Exactly. So that's yeah. one thing. Another thing is that the historical connections between all of these traditions we looked at are more robust than I was expecting, to be honest. Mm. So I kind of thought it would be, uh, I thought the episodes would be episodic, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind me putting it that way. In other words, sure. I thought that we'd kind of talk about ancient Egypt and then we could just stop thinking about that, move on to Ethiopia, then talk about Islam. But actually when we got into it, um, for example, as we saw, you can't talk about what's happening in the time of Zara Yaqob without talking about Islam in Africa. And then right. when we were talking about like the Sokoto Caliphate, yep. the people that they were declaring jihad against are right. the people whose oral traditions we, we were some of the people whose oral traditions we yeah. were covering. Right. Precisely. Yeah. So I, I actually came away from it um, thinking that it's not only that it is a thing, <laughs> <laughs> but that it's much more of a unified thing than I was expecting, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can get on now to talking about this central question that we spent a lot of time thinking about in these past episodes, which is this issue about oral traditions. And we talked a lot about specific oral traditions in a wide variety of African cultures. And we moved on then to talking about the whole debate between practitioners of ethno philosophy, like Placid Temple, St. John and BT. And we looked at uh, the critique of that through the professional school, we looked at sage philosophy, this idea of um, Henry Odero Oruka, that you should interview uh, sages, that yes. you find living sages who represent traditions. And finally, we sort of looked at the, um, the way that the members of the professional school made concessions to mm -hmm. the sage philosophy or ethno-philosophical way of seeing things. And I guess mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, where, where does you, your own... Uh, preference here lie mm. yeah well I guess the way I think about it is is that things kind of like ha happened the way they needed to happen which which sounds uh, I don't know makes it sound kind of providential and I, I maybe don't want to kind of you know go that far but you know ethno philosophy is a kind of starting point I think got African philosophy going in a way that that made it clear that um, exploring oral traditions was important. And then I feel that the critique of ethno-philosophy then served an important purpose. Right? I think that it forced a certain kind of self-consciousness about the enterprise of African philosophy. Um, I think that's something that, you know, our last few episodes 
maybe demonstrate is that, you know, if you're interested in metaphilosophy, that is, if you're interested in philosophical questions about the nature of philosophy, then studying something like African philosophy as it has played out in the 20th century is a great way to explore some of these questions. And so I think that it's a strength, right, that the, the controversy came, right? I think that it's, um, you know, it required those who were doing African philosophy to, to think about, well, you know, what are we doing? You know, uh, what methods would make this a credible enterprise, this, this uh, enterprise of exploring the philosophical content of oral traditions, right? And then also the importance of philosophers understanding that they are individuals engaging with these traditions and bringing to them their individual philosophical critical lenses and that it is in fact part of taking it seriously as philosophy that there would be that uh, critical component that critical and evaluative component i don't know it's possible that <clears throat> some historians of philosophy might disagree i mean as you would know there are historians of philosophy who think that critical you know let's let me tear it apart from the perspective that i now stand in type of approach to doing the history of philosophy is not so respectful and and then there's of course the historians of philosophy um you know who think that it's that it has to be that otherwise it's you know antiquarian and not actually doing anything i think so i think there's actually interesting questions about how important it is to have a let's say critical evaluative component but again i just think that the, crit the critique of ethno philosophy uh made it so that those kinds of questions had to be asked right and then so i think that you know the uh rapprochement as we just looked at it you know the kind of um closing of the gap as major figures like Uredu and Hontonji um you know kind of came around to the point where people almost were like whoa now aren't you doing the same thing that you were criticizing you know for there to be that kind of closing of the gap I really just think that it uh that it's kind of perfect in a way that that there is a certain consensus that um, among the things that are going to be centrally important to the doing of African philosophy will be the exploration of the philosophical content of oral traditions that we take to had take to in some sense go back to pre-colonial times, and that's. Insofar as there's a consensus about that, you know, um, and it may, uh, uh, you know, there may be those who would think I'm going too far in saying there's a consensus, but insofar as there is a consensus, if there is a consensus, that doesn't mean that, well, okay, we've solved the problem of African philosophy, now we can pack up and go home. It's, it's rather, um, it's rather a starting point, right? Um, because again, there's the questions of, you know, okay, well, if we at least know that we are going to be taking oral traditions seriously, um, what are the best ways to do that, right? And so there's so much more to be done um, 
in terms of of, of pushing uh, the discipline further. Uh, but I do, yeah, I guess I think that the kind of arc that we uh, traced is, yeah, a very philosophically fruitful one. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think also another upshot that we haven't really mentioned, but that should be flagged, is that it's not like Africa is the only culture in the world that has oral traditions right. or traditions that you can only access through, say, archaeology and ethnography. Right. Right. You have like the cultures of uh, free colonial Latin America, for example. Yeah. You have Native yeah. American culture. You have Australian Aboriginal culture. Indeed. And one thing that doing this with you has made me realize is that I need to cover all that as well. <laughs> and, You're welcome. <laughs> and as far as I know, there isn't nearly as elaborate a discourse about the methods and pitfalls and even possibility of doing that that focus on these other oral cultures. Or I think that's right. Um, cultures that haven't been really uh, looked at as much by history of philosophy. Yeah. So, uh, in a way, what we've done in, in these episodes is look at a at a set of problems that's generalizable beyond Africa. Yes, I um, would agree. So, obviously, um, in a way, everything we looked at was new to me, and <laughs> in some sense, very little of it was new to you. Like, I mean, not every single detail is something you'd thought about before, but you'd thought about all of the big issues and traditions that we looked at. But has anything kind of come up? while we've been writing these episodes that surprised you or that you found particularly interesting in a way you hadn't thought about before? Oh, I would say I've learned a ton on the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that's surprising, but, um, but it's definitely true. I bet you didn't learn as much as I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll grant that possibility. <laughs> um, it's understandable to guess uh, that, you know, that I would have learned a lot less uh, because despite the fact that uh, it's a collaborative process between the two of us in terms of writing the scripts and, you know, and listeners don't realize this, but, you know, they they don't know when you did the first draft or I did the first draft and, and it is, you know, it's it's been quite a mix. I don't even know, maybe even 50-50. Um, but, you know, despite the fact that it's collaborative in that way, there is, of course, the uh, preceding fact that the plan of the series, right, that was, that was, that really, was all, yeah, right, that, yeah. Yeah. right, that, yeah. so that's, so, so it's true that, like, what are we going to do, what are we going to cover, yeah, that was all me, but, um, yeah, it's been amazing, uh, you know, how much I've learned, you know, going back to episode two, when we were doing the research for that, you know, there was, there was a point where we were doing the research for episode two, and I had the thought, you know, if I decided not to be a philosopher anymore, paleoanthropologist could be a pretty cool job. I mean, it just one of those things where you realize um, just how, how exciting a field is. Right. And, um, you know, and for us to be linking that field to philosophy in the way we did, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, and, and it's what's kind of also funny about that episode is that I find that, you know, for a lot of people, 
when they learned kind of the arguments of that episode, you know, that, that given certain basic assumptions, we should think, yeah, philosophy was almost certainly born in Africa, you know, um, among, you know, uh, prehistoric peoples, right? They would often uh, react as if like, the argument was kind of like, like as if we were saying something obvious. And the fact that we were saying something that you don't necessarily find if you go look at any history of philosophy, right? I think it's one of those interesting moments where you could actually end up saying something that hasn't been said before, but it's so obvious when it hits people. You know, I, I think that, that, that moments like that have been really interesting. Even where we have um, been doing something that I've thought a whole lot about, like I've read a lot in um, ancient Egyptian thought, um, but when we worked on, you know, the, uh, the dispute between a man and his ba, I was kind of hit by what a philosophical classic I think that is. It's an amazing it, text. It really is, you know, so, so that hit me. And then Ethiopia was a revelation. So you've already kind of covered some of why that is uh, in this conversation, you know, but I mean, because I barely knew anything about Byzantine thought before you started covering it in the podcast. And then to be able, then to be learning about Byzantine thought from you and then making those connections with Ethiopia, <clears throat> I mean, like mind blowing stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, I kind of, I just remembered like diving in and trying to, because I think the thing with Ethiopia is that, um, uh, and I think this would be maybe a good example of the difference between your position and mine, right? Um, so you, for example, would not have been familiar with Claude Sumner, I take it. No. Right. So in my case, uh, by uh, contrast, I, I would have known about Sumner. I would have known about Zeri Yaakob and Walda Hewitt, right? And so I would have kind of had this idea that, you know, Sumner's done this important stuff showing that there's Zeri Yaakob and Walda Hewitt and then plus there's this older stuff that's translated from the Greek, right? And um, uh, and so that would have been, you know, stuff that was new to you and not completely new to me. Um, but when we were working on, you know, those episodes, right, it was an opportunity for me to think beyond Sumner, right? And so we ended up covering the Kebranagast in significant detail and um we ended up you know mentioning people like the other Zariakov, the emperor uh we ended up mentioning Walata petros you know uh who who you know and that's that's of course something that has only recently been made available in english right and and so um you know it's <laughs> As I mentioned to you uh, at one point, you know, it really made me want to go learn Gez <laughs> to, to be able to kind of, you know, continue to uh, to explore that 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 long tradition of writing, and um, yeah. So I mean, I'll I'll, I'll stop there, you know, because I could keep going. I, I mean, I love the fact that um, you know that we were able to. You know, I think that it probably when we started, we probably thought that Islamic philosophy in Sub-Saharan Africa would have been one episode. But then 
we were able to kind of break it into two episodes and have that focus on the Sokoto Caliphate, right? You know, and and I think moments like that are great where we can kind of say like, hey, here's a specific family, <laughs> family of philosophical thinkers that that you can now explore, you know? <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so, so I'd say that there's, uh, you know, there's been so much, um, you know, that, that I've learned uh, along the way. I mean, I, I guess actually probably um, some of the last few episodes uh, would be kind of like the the parts where it's been the most just familiar territory to me. You probably taught that stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's actually still just so fun to kind of like see how best to communicate the ideas in the form of the podcast. But but yes, probably that's yeah the the the, the debates um you know uh, with with uh, the critique of ethno philosophy and so on yeah it's probably where there's been the least new to me I mean because one thing that I you know um, have complimented you on is in terms of when we were doing the various topics in oral traditions I think there's a way in which uh, had it had it been just me with no co-author. You know, I would have been often very satisfied with looking at the stuff written by professional philosophers. And there's a way in which you dived in and read widely, not just professional philosophers, but anthropological work and so on, which again enriched, you know, my learning uh, as well. So, yeah, so it's... Um, you know, I'm glad that I had the plan at first, but the plan is is consistently educating me as well, and that's, that's been fun. Yeah, for me, I think the the thing that uh, certainly, I mean, of course, in a way, everything was new, right? But the, yeah. there was one thing in particular that sticks out for me because I felt that it was something I should have known already, which is the Islamic sure. philosophical work in, from Africa. Because in theory, I'm an expert on philosophy in the Islamic world. I just did it. <laughs> 70 plus series of podcasts about it. I've written books about it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't even know this stuff existed. And yeah. to be honest, it is very hard to access. Like there's uh, a paucity of editions, translations and so on, but at least to find out, oh, there's thousands of manuscripts yeah. from West Africa and they deal with logic and other philosophical topics. A lot of it is Kalam, so mm -hmm. rational theology. And of course, mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of the idea that we should take Kalam seriously as philosophy anyway. Yep. And so um, there, I, I really felt that I learned something very valuable that has relevance for my own research. So uh, sort of stepping back from all this and what we've already covered, a lot of what we have been discussing, especially in the last few episodes, is debates about African philosophy that really uh, comes from, in some cases, decades ago. I mean, like MBT was, was stuff was written before you and I were born. Some of it. And so I'm wondering whether you could say something about how the field looks today. Like, what are the current trends of research? What are they doing? What are they not doing? Yeah, well, that's a, a great question. And, um, and I think actually there's aspects of the field that we don't even need to talk about yet and 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 i don't mean to be coy with that but you know we're doing this in three parts right and and we'll be moving on from here to the second part which will broadly be covering uh the 18th and 19th centuries right but then 
the third part of our series is intended to cover the 20th century and beyond, right? With the beyond, of course, just being the 19 years or so uh, that uh, that we've uh, made it into the 21st century. And and at that point, we will at that point still be looking kind of at trends um, in African philosophical thought. And you know, if that if that sounds uh, weird to people that we've that we have just been looking at people writing, you know, in some cases in the nineties and the two thousands. Um, well, I, I don't remember if we said a lot about the two thousands, but, you know, writing up to, you know, uh, uh, the nineties, at least, uh, in recent episodes, you know, the reason is that we've had this interest in the status of pre-colonial tradition. Right. And so we have tried to not only, trace what we could of that both in written form and you know a sampling of um oral form so to speak uh but we've looked at kind of uh ways in which people have debated its status right and uh, and so so there's i think that a lot that uh, there's a lot that we'll come back to in terms of political philosophy that's focusing on, you know, issues in contemporary Africa uh, and so on, uh, you know, that, that, that we're going to come back to later on uh, in the series. But if I were to give an example of recent work that relates to what we've already been covering, I'd actually like to once again give a shout out to a beloved mentor of mine, um, Suleiman Bashir Janya, who we were so fortunate to have on the podcast because uh, uh, he's got a book, uh, L'Encre des Savants is what it's called in French, and the Ink of Scholars, and it has been translated um, into English, and so it is available in English. And, um, and I just think Bashir is, in general, a truly brilliant uh, philosopher, uh, but, you know, relevant to your question, you know, that book um, in, in, in a, a few short chapters really, you know, um, continues to usefully kind of bring us back to these questions, right, of how we of how we're thinking about the engagement with pre-colonial oral tradition, uh, because the uh, the first chapter, for example, is about Tempels. Uh, Tempels is Bantu philosophy. Right. And specifically the question of, well, what do we make of this idea of vital force um, that that was so central to African philosophy on Tempel's account? And one of the things uh, that Bashir is doing there uh, is raising the question of whether you can bracket um, how applicable the idea is as a kind of key to thought in general, key to not only thought in general, but the thought in general of the entire Bantu or entire African um, people. Um, But kind of what if we think about uh, how that idea maybe throws interesting light on the interpretation of African art, right? And this is a way in which um, Bashir is actually drawn on the ideas of Leopold Senghor, um, uh, who he who he has written on and who I've 
also been very interested in. And uh, yeah, and so how, how does Tempels's idea of vital force perhaps uh, shed interesting light on the interpretation of African art? You know, I think that's interesting. I mean, and, and, and then he's got a chapter on Mbiti on time, you know, and, and, and the question of whether perhaps the whole problem with the controversy that Mbiti's uh, view of time um, got going about, you know, whether whether we can say that, you know, that the Africans lack a, a sense of a, uh, a long future, whether it all just has to do with an exaggeration of what it means for language to be concrete, right? Uh, Bashir argues that uh, there's this idea that, that, that European languages are, are abstract and then you can, you know, show that these African languages are more concrete, but then you get into the etymology of words in European languages and it seems just as concrete, right? You know, they, it's all coming from, I mean, he looks at the etymology of the word abstract, right? <laughs> and kind of shows the, the concreteness of that. And anyway, you know, I, I, I could go on, um, but I, you know, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, he's an excellent philosopher in general, but that book is another example of continuing that, that dialogue about how we're going to uh, explore African tradition usefully. Okay, one last question. We always say this the history of philosophy without any gaps, right? And this is always more a prom not a promise, but an ambition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because of course you can't really I mean, like I didn't do the history of Byzantine philosophy without any gaps. I haven't done anything without any gaps for real. <laughs> or and so there's always, I mean, I guess at the end of every series, I look back and think, well, I could have done this, I could have done that, but you know, life is short. What yeah. are the, you know, the top one or two things that we could have done and didn't do, just so listeners know about them? Yeah, uh, I'd say that the, the top two, um, so one would be something that I think that we haven't mentioned in any way, uh, and which I myself uh, want to learn more about, which is uh, something known as the the Mandan Charter. Um, and it's uh, supposed to be something kind of like a constitution like a political constitution, but that one one that has come down to us orally, right? Um, uh, among, um, I think, you know, uh, the Manding people of West Africa. Um, I think it's also in some sense associated with an epic, uh, the epic of Sunjata, which perhaps uh, some, some listeners would have heard of. Uh, they might've heard of the epic, but not the charter. Um, but the, you know, um, Anyway, there's a, uh, that's an interesting topic for political philosophy in oral tradition, and I'm particularly interested in political philosophy, so that I'd maybe cite that as a kind of thing that I'm I'm surprised at myself that the, the, you know that I never figured how how we could uh, work that in, uh, and I guess the other thing that I would cite though, something that we would have mentioned is the uh, the Ifa tradition of the Yoruba. Right, uh, I think we would possibly talked about it more than once, but certainly would have mentioned it as as a system of divination, right? Uh, which which we did cover, but I actually like uh, teaching verses, uh, the verses of the uh, the Odu Ifa, right? So so verses that the Babalawo, the priests of the Ifa tradition, um, you know, have memorized and 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 bring up as part of the divination process. But 
there's there's a collection of them uh, actually by Maulana Karenga, someone we mentioned in relation to uh, his work on Ma'at, but he also uh, put out this collection of verses and he specifically chose verses of an ethical character. And what has really struck me as I've taught it is that um, just as people have looked to Aristotle um, and also more recently to say the Confucian tradition uh, for a virtue ethics, right? I think that uh, in these verses, again, this this stuff that has come down to us orally, right? There, uh, there's really interesting things about the shaping of character um, and how to be a virtuous person. Um, one of the things that we end up also talking about when I teach it is. Uh, some of the stuff on gender. So we talk about feminist philosophy as possibly something that we're getting out of some of these verses in the Ifa tradition. And uh, so I think that's kind of an exciting dimension that I don't think we uh, managed to go into. Um, so I guess I'd throw those out there. Okay, good. Uh, so that's looking back, looking forward. You said we're gonna be uh, moving on to look at 18th and 19th century uh, philosophy, Africana philosophy. Mm. So, uh, since I'm going to be writing about half of those, uh, episodes, tell me mm. what they're going to be about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to let you know, uh, we'll be, yeah, we'll be talking about, um, philosophical thought as it arises in the wake of the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade in particular, um, slavery in the Americas, um, and colonialism, you know, colonialism of the Americas, uh, which is, of course, part of how you get slavery in the Americas, and also early forms of colonialism uh, on the African continent, right? And so one of the ways to distinguish uh, this second part of the series from what we've done so far is uh, that, you know, now is the time to look at Africana philosophy in the modern era in European languages. Uh, so even though the Sokoto Caliphate, that took us all the way to the 19th century already, nevertheless, there was a kind of continuity there where we were still talking about uh, that which kind of precedes colonialism. Uh, and so now, kind of starting as early as uh, uh a poet named Juan Latino, who was writing in Latin in Spain in the 16th century, uh, we're looking uh, at, yeah, what happened <clears throat> when through this uh, process of enslavement and colonialism, Europeans kind of, well, uh, began to make it such that uh, Africana philosophical thought was being expressed in European languages. And now it's going to be clearer why we're calling the series Africana philosophy, mm -hmm. not just African philosophy, because everything we've done so far was African. Right. And now we're going to be looking at the diaspora. We're going to look at figures who lived in the United States and Europe yep. and so on. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. I guess uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. And I guess the audience is as well. Thanks yes. for doing this. Okay. Thanks for doing the whole thing with me, but also thanks for this conversation. And, Thank you. Uh, Please join us next time as we do start to look at 
Africana philosophy in the 18th and 19th centuries here on the history of Africana philosophy.